Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Gregory Melville and Susan Fox and Kathleen Bromage. This is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. The number of DNA testing kits has exploded in recent years, from finding out more about your family tree to learning whether you are predisposed to certain genetic disorders. The information can be yours just by spitting into a vial. But are we really prepared for the information these kits provide us? And how accurate are they really? Coming up, we'll learn about a new test through National Geographic and how its DNA results will inform a worldwide genographic project. And we'll hear a remarkable story about one woman's quest to learn more about her roots. Alice Collins Playbook and her siblings thought they were a traditional Irish Catholic family until she took an Ancestry.com test. We'll learn how that first test led to a journey over several years to find out who her father's relatives really were. And we want to hear your story, too, this hour. What, why did you buy a home DNA testing kit, and what did you find out about yourself, your family? You can join the conversation, 860-275-7266. Email where we live at wmpr.org. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at where we live. I want to welcome into the studio Nora Galvin. She's a certified genealogist based in Bridgeport, Connecticut. Nora, welcome to the show. I'm happy to be here. I mentioned you're a genealogist. When did you begin to be interested in this field? Well, I started being interested back in college when my grandmother would tell me about her grandparents who had come from Ireland. Uh, And I asked her to write it all down because I couldn't keep them straight. But then, as often happens, Decades went by before I had the time and opportunity to do uh, much more research for my own family. And tell me about that research. So your last name's Gavin. I mm-hmm. assumed you were from, from Irish roots. Right. Uh, before we get to this, uh, the way technology has changed the field, what were some of the traditional tools that you used to find out more about your family? Well, by the time I started, there was quite a bit of information online already. So I was able to uh, begin that way. I've also been to Ireland and looked at actual paper records. And a lot of the research I do as a professional, is based in Connecticut, and I do a good bit of paper research uh, in the state archives, the state library, for example. So the change is now more and more records coming online that keep us from uh, having to go out, and it's remarkable, actually. But I must emphasize that not everything is online, (laughs) and if you run out of things, you need to actually get out to a library or a town hall to get some actual paper research done. So we'll give props to our local libraries that can help us do uh, that research. And I know that uh, many libraries in Connecticut, um, there's many companies, but I know some uh, libraries have memberships to Ancestry.com. So they, and there are librarians that can uh, help people uh, find out more uh, once they do that uh, saliva test. Uh, But when you talk about when not all records are online, so give us an idea, you know, we're so close to New York City and Ellis Island. Tell us about if you traveled to back to New York City to find some records in the archives there? Well, um, I have done that for clients. None of my people actually came in through New York. Uh, but um, New York has some great records. Um, many of the immigration records are online, however, but uh, not all of the naturalization records, for example. So for Connecticut people, there's an index 
of immigration, uh, sorry, naturalization online. But if you want to see the actual record, you have to go to the National Archives branch in Waltham, Mass. So that's, and then once you're there and you're seeing these massive books, it's fantastic. And also in Connecticut, uh, some of the vital records, birth, marriage, and death, are online, but there's a big gap. And if you want to see those records, you have to go to a town hall or to the state library and look at microfilm. And it's very exciting to see your ancestors' names written in the old handwriting. How um, how does it get complicated, though? We, we hear often that family names have changed, maybe at the time that they, they came to this country, and there was variations of a name. Is that tricky, then, to find out you know your relatives from the past? Sometimes. Um, it helps an individual then to learn what kinds of variations might occur in the particular country uh, that they come from. So Ireland, many of the people were uneducated. They were not permitted to attend school for certain periods of time. Uh, and so it's the names are passed down orally. And some of them are kind of strange. So how do you spell that? And so a simple one is Kelly with an E or without an E at the end, Kelly, E-Y or just plain Y. And people say, well, we always spell it this way. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe you do, but not everybody who ever wrote your name down for you ever did. So uh, it can get a little complicated, especially with common names. Let's talk about uh, the DNA tests that are now on the market. Uh, you started doing this work, genealogical work, uh, a decade ago. Uh, when did you? How do you feel about these DNA tests? And I understand you have a little bit of experience um, when it comes to like actually looking at DNA and and you know using that to inform your research. Right. Well, I started out uh, as a high school biology teacher, um, and then after that, <clears throat> excuse me, and raising my children, I. Um, went to work at a pharmaceutical company and worked in a lab for 16 years and did some molecular biology. Then when I found out about uh, genetic genealogy, it was exciting to me to be able to join those two careers of genealogy and science. So that gets me very excited. So not a little bit, a lot of uh, experience. Uh, Uh (laughs) Uh, Now that we are in 2017, it seems like there are so many tests out there. Uh, Which tests do you prefer to use in the work that you're doing for your clients? Well, there are three basic DNA types that are tested. One is uh, called mitochondrial DNA. That's passed from the mother in the egg to every child, but only passed on by mothers. And that follows the matrilineal line, but it gives us deep ancestry, sort of anthropological ancestry, not close relatives. The second one is Y-DNA, which is the Y chromosome, which is what makes a man a man or any male a male. And that is passed from father to son to son to son, virtually unchanged. And that will show us both deep ancestry and closer relationships. And it tracks with the surname. So it's a fantastic way to to find out more about your ancestors back in the old country, uh, unless there's been a mix-up with fatherhood, which we'll probably get mm. to at some other point. And the third type is the most popular thing right now, which is autosomal DNA. And that's the other 22 chromosomes plus the X chromosome. And this is the test that Ancestry.com does. It's the test that 23andMe does. And it's one of the tests that Family Tree DNA does. They do all three. Family Tree does all three of those tests. Now, how accurate are these tests? 
Well, DNA is it's a science, and whatever it tells you is the truth. How you interpret it is uh, sometimes an issue. So, for example, let's talk about why DNA. You have a man. Uh, let's use the name Kelly again, just mm-hmm. for the heck of it. Uh, a man named Kelly gets his Y DNA tested, and then the company puts all of his he put compares his data to all the other men in the whole database who've been tested, and it turns out oddly that Mr. Kelly doesn't match anybody named Kelly. He matches people named, let's say, Smith. Mm-hmm. All these Smith people, which uh, in which means that somewhere along the line, either one of his male ancestors changed his name to Kelly, or one of his male ancestors is not who he thinks he was. So uh, nevertheless, we know that his Y-DNA is specific as interpreted by the test. It's a matter of who his male ancestors are that's in question in this case. Mm. Now, I mentioned you're a certified genealogist. Uh, With uh, the popularity of these DNA tests growing, uh, is there any tension in the genealogical field about uh, this tool, or are you all embracing it as just another way uh, to get more information about your roots? It's absolutely, it's a a fabulous new tool. Uh, There are plenty of people who have a mystery ancestor. It could be as close as a parent or a grandparent or a great-grandparent. You have this person, their background is murky, you don't know who their parents were, you don't really know where they came from, you can't find any records about them. Does this mean that they changed their name or what? Um, But a DNA test could connect you to people uh, that are related to that mystery uh, ancestor and help you figure out uh, who that person was. Um, I took an Ancestry.com test a few weeks ago. Uh, my parents are from India, and you know more than 90% of me is South Asian, but 6% was Melanesian. So when I went back into uh, Ancestry's website, I saw all of these fourth cousins <laughs> that yeah. I have. And mm-hmm. it's interesting, the idea that you can now um, just message these people to then find that missing link, as you mentioned. That's right. That's right. Yes, and I've had some uh, some interesting. Uh, I'm 100% Irish, but in my ethnicity test, I come up with some Scandinavian and some Iberian Peninsula, mm-hmm. and to me that reflects the fact that the Vikings invaded Ireland numerous times, and that there was a Spanish armada, and a stray Spanish soldier may have come ashore in Ireland. Uh, but yeah, so so we're not looking with ethnicity mm-hmm. at our parents or grandparents necessarily. We're looking back perhaps as far as 500 years uh, to the history of our ancestry. This is where we live today. We're looking at the popularity of DNA tests like Ancestry.com and 23andMe and others. And we're speaking with certified genealogist Nora Galvin, uh, based in Bridgeport. She's in studio with us. And we'd like to hear your story of what prompted you to try out one of these DNA kits. What have you found out about your family? You can join the conversation, 860-275-7266. Nora, we're hearing from a a listener, Michael, who tweeted, these DNA tests respond to anxieties about being rootless in a place like the United States way back when? Well, that's interesting. I hadn't thought about that. Uh, it certainly is helpful for people who are adopted, mm-hmm. people who have really no idea what their ethnicity is or what their medical background might be because their adoptive parents maybe didn't share or because it's just unknown who their parents are. Um, and adoptees are meeting with success, learning about their uh, 
biological families through these DNA tests. Now, with the clients that you hear from, are people prepared uh, once they take that saliva <laughs> test and they, they get these results back, oftentimes pointing to their ethnicity, what do they do next with that information? How do you help them? Right. Well, a lot of people, when they get an ethnicity test, ethnicity test uh, can be surprised with, with the results because they may know back only as far as the grandparents and they may say, well, I know my grandparents were German or Irish or Asian, but the percentages displayed in the ethnicity estimate, and let me emphasize the word estimate, uh, do not necessarily reflect what they would expect from what they know of their ancestry. So uh, sometimes it's just something that they need to understand more about what the test is able to measure. So, for example, people with a German background expect to see a percentage of German, but there's really no way to distinguish distinguish German at this point. So it may show Western Europe. Mm. Uh, on the other hand, though, and we're going to hear from Alice later, I think, when you get something that is completely 100% in contrast with what you know and uh, and unexplainable, then you might do what she did, which is to look into it and figure out what what the heck happened there. And and uh, and sometimes you learn something that you didn't know. And by the way, that's something we need to be careful about. People need to be aware that these tests will tell the truth, and they need to be prepared for the truth, which may be something that's been hidden or unknown in their family for one or more generations. This is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel, Nora Galvin in studio with us as we talk about genealogy and these DNA tests. Think you know everything about your family tree? Our next guest thought so, too, until she took an Ancestry.com test. We'll hear how that first test began a journey over several years to find out the truth about her father's side of the family. And what about you? What led you to take an at-home DNA test? And did you ever think about how, how much saliva is needed for that test? One teaspoon is actually pretty a lot when you have to do that. Uh, but were you happy? with the results when you got them. We want to hear from you. Join the conversation, 860-275-7266. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. This is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Simple-to-use commercial DNA tests have sparked a million-dollar industry and fueled what's been called recreational genomics. Have you spit into a vial for Ancestry.com, 23andMe, or another company to learn more about your family tree? We want to hear your stories in just a little bit. The number to call 860-275-7266. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. In studio with us is certified genealogist Nora Galvin, and joining us by phone now is Alice Collins Playbook. Alice is remarkable story was featured in the Washington Post recently, and I want to welcome Alice to the show. Alice, thank you for calling in today. Thank you for having me. You're retired, uh, based in Washington State. Uh, Tell us about what drew you to Ancestry.com's DNA test. I was always interested in science, and I knew about uh, the Y-DNA testing and the mitochondrial DNA testing, so when they first came out with a beta for the autosomal testing, I was first in line to take a test. <laughs> and this was back in 2012? Back in 2012. 
And and uh, tell us about the, your experience uh, taking the test. What happened when you got the results? I was perplexed, confused. Um, I I couldn't figure out why it wasn't what I expected. I expected to be almost all Irish and with English and Scottish thrown in and expecting little surprises. But I wasn't expecting what was obvious that one parent was Jewish. And And I didn't even know what the term Ashkenazi meant. Mm. So it was a period of confusion at first. And so did you take more tests? Did you contact Ancestry.com? What did you do? Well, I contacted Ancestry.com. I had seen that there were some apparent issues with people who were British showing up with too much Scandinavian. But so I thought my test was wrong. And so I wrote and told them, your beta has a big problem. (laughs) You know, something's wrong. And then you took another test. And what did that test tell you? I took another test and that told me that the first test was correct. It also told me that I was a full sister to a brother who I didn't know had already taken a test at 23 and Me. So we were full brother and sister, and he was also half Jewish. And then my sister, um, who I had concocted a plan with, <laughs> her tests came back, and we were we were all siblings. So we tested our first cousins to see whether or not um, where where this problem lay. Mm. And everything on my mother's side matched perfectly. On my father's side, we had no genetic relationship whatsoever to my father's nephew. Wow. And, and what did you think when you find that out? Well, my heart just went through my stomach because This was my cousin. I felt like I was losing my cousin. Mm -hmm. And at that point, we knew that there was something wrong. Our father was raised in an orphanage. And so we didn't know whether or not his parents were Jewish and had assumed Irish identities, whether or not he was switched in the orphanage. But once we got our cousin's test back, we knew that our my father wasn't um, Irish. He was Jewish. And after you go through all the possible scenarios, the only thing that makes sense is when we found out he was born in the hospital was that he was switched at birth. Mm. So this all started for you in 2012, but when did you get to the conclusion, to the answer of, of your father's uh, ancestry? The end of 2015, No, I'm sorry, the beginning of 2015. So it was about three years, Mm. two and a half. And was this just by luck because you had tested many of your cousins and your siblings had all had your information um, on these uh, DNA testing websites? How did you find that missing link? Well, it was very much by luck. We had tested my, um, as I said, my father's nephew who wasn't related to us. It wasn't that we found our family. It was that my cousin had a match that was very, very close. 
And so I got in touch with the person and started asking her, was she expecting to see these Irish names? And she responded, no, it's very strange. I thought I was Jewish, but I'm seeing Irish instead. So that set alarms off. And we started communicating, and within a few hours, we determined that her her grandfather was born at the same place on the same day. Actually, we thought it was the day after, but as my father. So we had a connection. At the same hospital in the Bronx. Same hospital in the Bronx. So this hunch that your father was switched at birth that became uh, the real story. How did that happen? Can you tell us about that time in 1913? Well, the research that I did said that they didn't mark babies. Um, They had no footprints. They didn't have bracelets. And I'm not sure if this is what happened in my father's case, but at least one hospital in the Bronx put babies on a cart. And without any markings, they would take the babies around and give them to their mothers. I saw this one picture, I think, with about 15 babies on the cart. So the opportunity to make a mistake was very easy. Mm. I mean, it it was just available. And we also know that my father and Philip, the other baby, were delivered by the same doctor. So the doctor could have given the baby to the nurse and given the wrong name. And so now you found uh, this missing link to your family. Uh, How did you then go about uh, meeting these relatives that you didn't know you had? Well, we started out, I, I sent messages to them. Actually, let me go back a second. I have a lot of DNA um, Jewish cousins who were wonderful in helping me track people down. They had skills I don't. And within hours after I had said I found my family, they gave me their addresses, their their home addresses. They gave me their email addresses. They gave me their um, Facebook addresses. And so I actually got in contact through um, Facebook. Mm. And I got in contact with the daughter of my first cousin. Mm. And I sent her pictures. In the meantime, the other family that I had gotten in touch with, who was actually quite removed from my closest family, they started sending us pictures. And as soon as we got them, we saw my brothers in my grandfather's Mm. face. There was just no question. My father looked like his mother. Mm. Uh, It it was um, earth-shattering. The whole family felt the same way. It sounded like your relatives embraced uh, this this journey to find out the truth, but were you worried at all? um, If your father was still alive, would this have been something that you think he would have um, been able to come to terms with? We really don't know. It's something that we debated, and I've gone at first, I think that I didn't think that we should tell him, that we would have told him, that he was elderly and he had so much invested in being Irish. 
that was he didn't have parents that he knew, and so he um, his anchor was that he was Irish. Later on, I thought he had a right to know, and knowing my dad, he would say such is life, and he would move on, and he would accept his new family. Mm. But we were all over the place, and on whether we tell him. This is where we live on the phone with us, Alice Collins Playbook. She's a retired uh, information systems manager uh, based in Washington State. Her amazing story uh, was profiled in the Washington Post recently, uh, this uh, genealogical journey that she took after taking this one DNA test from Ancestry.com led to many other tests. Um, And if this is something that uh, resonates with you, what's your family story uh, when you took these tests? You can join the conversation, 860-275-7266. Um, Alice, I have to ask you, once your story became public, have people been reaching out to you on Facebook telling you their journeys to find their family, uh, their uh, family roots? Yeah, they have. Um, I hear almost daily from somebody who they think they may be in a similar situation, and I've been pointing them to the resources that I used, um, DNA detectives, um, and also there's a a Yahoo group, DNA newbie, that helped me with the science to understand what it was I was looking at, because it's not intuitive. I wanted to turn back to our, our studio guest, Nora Galvin, who's a certified genealogist based in Bridgeport, Connecticut. Uh, what's your reaction to Alice's story? Uh, how how unique is this? I don't think anybody's keeping track of. I mean, not every case is made public like this one is. Um, but I do hear a number of these kinds of stories. And uh, Alice mentioned DNA Detectives, which is a group that has a Facebook page. They are very actively involved in this kind of work, trying to match DNA with uh, of an adoptee or a puzzled person such as Alice uh, with the correct family. Um, but so you hear lots of stories. I just can't say you know what percentage of people this in, uh, involves. And the the one the the I mean, there are many interesting uh, parts to Alice's story. But this uh, this this uh, scenario back in 1913 in this Bronx hospital where the babies weren't identified. I mean, how 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 often might that have happened that people were switched to birth? Well, <laughs> it seems pretty simple, yeah. doesn't it? And I think it's a remarkable achievement that Alice was able to get back that far and figure out that it happened right right when her father was born. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he spent his entire life um, with this notion, uh, this incorrect notion of, of who he was. But, you know, that also then bring up, brings up the question of who are we? You know, are we the are we our genes or are we our culture that we were raised in? So that's the thing that people have to decide about when they learn something like Alice did. And Alice, uh, now that you're, st- I guess I should ask why you decided to become public with your story. I had been working with CC Moore, and she encouraged me to go public with it. So I wrote a, a fairly short blog. I'm not a writer. I I did technical work. Writing is painful to me. Um, and so when CC recommended um, me to Libby Copeland, it was a wonderful opportunity for somebody to really tell the story. 
Mm. And uh, Cece Moore is an independent professional uh, genealogist and television consultant. And this woman, Libby, who wrote the story for The Post, she's been doing some uh, research on genealogy um, and stories like yours. Well, I wanted to take a, a quick call uh, now. Uh, Lloyd is calling from Old Saybrook. Lloyd, you're on the show. Hi, I'm still here. Yes, go ahead. Uh, I I have a question. Uh, I my son recently died, passed away at uh, age 53, and uh, the the autopsy department up in Hartford has some blood of his, and I have some hair samples. And I was just wondering if I could use either one of these items to uh, run a complete DNA test on him. Uh, my family has a strange uh, origin, or at least the uh, the middle part of it is. Uh, my grandfather came from Germany at age 13. They put him on a boat, sent him to America, and... and uh, he was robbed of everything he owned, so when he landed here in America, he had absolutely nothing, but uh, he stayed in a little German colony in Torrington, Connecticut, and I guess uh, some of the old Germans up there raised him, but uh, he went on to scatter his DNA through four wives and half the United States, I guess. My other grandfather... Uh, uh, came from Italy, but he was born illegitimately, and he was sent overseas uh, to uh, to get rid of him. And, you know, these are blind ends. You wonder what the heck uh, uh, the name of my grandfather from Germany is a very big name. Uh, they ran the, uh, uh, the anesthesia and gas mask... Uh, 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 companies in Germany and North America, and uh, the one from Italy said his great-grandfather was a highwayman and uh, was the only one to receive amnesty, and he ended up with millions and millions of dollars in gold that uh, the highwaymen had hidden up in the woods and was one of the wealthiest uh, his father was one of the wealthiest men in Salerno. So, so Lloyd, he, so Lloyd, he this is legitimate, and they shipped him out. <laughs> <laughs> Lloyd, let's hear so, from the so, genealogist. Here. So, Lloyd, this is Nora. Um, are you, it sounds that like what you really want to investigate is your family history. Is that correct? Yes. yes. And if that's the case, then you want to get your DNA tested and your siblings. I'm assuming that your father has passed away. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So you want to get your DNA tested and your siblings DNA tested because you and your siblings are going to have more DNA represented from your father. Your son yeah. only had half of your DNA. So yeah, well, I'm what the last you... one. I'm the last one. I'm 86 years old. Okay. And I'm the well, last of, of, then of... go get your DNA tested. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're the person that needs to be tested, not your okay. son. Okay. Where would Where's the best place to go then? Well, um, uh, there are the ancestry dot com or twenty uh, three and me or. This is a common question. Um, as I mentioned earlier, there are three companies. They all will give you the same result, um, or essentially the same result. The question is, uh, how you know, 
what's best for comparison for you. And um, I will just say this, that uh, Ancestry right now has over 3 million people in their database, which is a huge pool. The others have uh, in the range of a million or less. Uh, If you only can afford one test, I would do Ancestry. They have a sale going right now. The other uh, uh, family tree also has a sale going. If you are interested in learning more about your male line, then you probably want to get tested at family tree because then at some point you can get the Y-DNA test done with only the single sample that you send in. And by the way, uh, family tree doesn't require saliva. They allow you to, they have you swab the inside of your cheek so you don't have to spit in case you have a hard time (laughs) collecting that much saliva. Well, thank you uh, for your call, Lloyd, and good luck with uh, your search. And you can join the conversation and ask a question of how you go about uh, finding out more about your family tree at 860-275-7266. Nora Galvin's uh, in studio with us, a certified genealogist based in in Bridgeport. On the phone with us, Alice Collins Playbook, a retired uh, resident from Washington State. Her fascinating family story was featured in the Washington Post recently, and we'll tweet out a link um, about that story at where we live. I want to take another call. Uh, Maureen's calling from New Rochelle. Maureen, go ahead. Hi. Um, I recently had 23andMe do my um, genetic analysis, and I was um, not too surprised with the result. I was actually more surprised with my emotional reaction to viewing the results. I think um, I, I think in general I was just ill-prepared for that, and I'm just curious to see does it bring up, it wasn't a negative emotion, it was more like a sense of belonging to something much bigger and kind of an awareness of history or thinking about things that had never really um, come up for me. So I just want to know, is that a common reaction when people were given the results? Well, um, have you been doing genealogy, Maureen? I have a family member that, um, and I'm again Irish, similar profile to you, um, and he, he was the person kind of doing the paperwork end of it in the 70s and 80s. Um, so I haven't really gone beyond what he originally accumulated. Well, my um, point... 20, my, yeah, go sorry, ahead. Sorry. My point is that if, if as a person who does research myself, sure. when I find a record for my ancestor, I have the kind of feeling you're talking about. And okay, so I okay. think for people who haven't done the research, but... You know, the DNA test is a type of research. So you're finding out some ethnicity estimates uh, and you're finding out a whole list of people to whom you're related through DNA. Exactly. And and it's powerful. I think it's powerful. powerful. Yeah. I think that's the word I was missing. It is powerful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Thank you, Maureen, for your call. And you can join the conversation again, 860-275-7266 on where we live. Uh, Jeannie is calling from West Hartford. Jeannie, you're on the show. Hi. Um, my comment is just quick. Um, I adopted my daughter, uh, Loan, who's now 13, from Nepal and didn't have any biological, medical, or any type of information about her at all. So um, she's at the age where she was old enough and curious. So we did the 23andMe test and um, found out that she's actually 24% Mongolian. So um, we were able to get a little bit more information about where specifically her relatives are from. And um, I I was glad to hear that Ancestry.com actually has a bigger pool, so maybe we'll do another test with them. But just having her DNA out there and, and... um, being connected possibly in the future to, you know, even distant relatives or cousins um, might be 
just a possibility for her or just a you know way of opening a door for her in the future. So I was just that was my comment. Well, thank you, Jeannie, uh, for giving us a call. Um, I think we're going to go to break now, but if you want to join the conversation again, it's 860-275-7266. I want to thank Alice Collins Playbook. Again, she joined us by phone from Washington State. A really fascinating story. Alice, thank you so much for telling us about it. Thank you for having me here. This is Where We Live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Coming up, we'll learn about a new DNA test from National Geographic. And genealogist Nora Galvin will stay with us. What questions do you have about ways to learn more about your family? That's 860-275-7266. This is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Today we've been talking about home DNA kits. They're affordable compared to a decade ago, and more are coming onto the market. One of the latest is from National Geographic. To tell us more, we're joined on the phone by Miguel Villar, Senior Program Officer and Lead Scientist for National Geographic's Genographic Project. Miguel, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. Now, I understand uh, we've heard about the Genographic Project before, but tell us more about Geno 2.0, this next generation that you're working on. So the Geno 2.0 next generation test is uh, is a test that's um, similar to the one we had before where you um, you would purchase a kit and you would test your own DNA and send the results in to our lab, and you would get sort of a, a summary of, of your ancestry. And when I mean summary, we would tell you uh, different aspects of your ancestry, your, your maternal line, your paternal line, your, your composition from different geographical regions. And, um, and it just gave you sort of a, a brief, not a brief actually, earlier on it was fairly brief, but now it's actually a fairly comprehensive uh, look about sort of where uh, your ancestors came from and, and how they, how, what routes they took to get to where you are today. And how um, are these uh, participants, again, who they, they buy the test uh, through Nat Geo, what happens uh, to this information and how does it inform the Genographic Project? So the Genographic Project itself is, is like, like, you, like you mentioned, sort of, it, it, we inform the participant, but the participant also informs us. So in a sense, when you participate, your DNA is added to a database and uh, it's compared to that of hundreds of thousands of people who've taken the test before. Um, who may have shared some information about their paternal line, where, where their great-grandfathers and great-grandmothers came from. And that information um, is, is sort of compared uh, to one another, and we can, we can sort of see connections, see, see places in, in, in the past where different people's lines may have connected or may have crossed. And um, it sort of becomes a, a very large sort of, uh, citizen science project that we manage, but people could come in and, and learn about themselves by applying and coming in and, and being a part of it. So this is very uh, much uh, heavily reliant on ancestry, but we know that some people, when they take these DNA tests, they're also uh, different companies provide different things like looking at genetic variants or seeing if you're predisposed to a certain condition uh, down the road. I mean, how is uh, this project working with uh, Helix, I think it is, uh, to partner to get that information if someone's interested in learning about it? Right. So the project itself uh, used to be strictly about ancestry, but... but um now we, through a partnership with Helix, a, a new company that just launched last year, um, we uh, allow you to sort of test your te- to take a test once, and you you have your DNA joined. What we saw sort of an ecosystem, so you could go in um, after you get your your ancestry results, and you find out uh, all about where your your great great grandparents came from, and, and what what connections you have with different peoples and parts of the world. Then you can actually through the Helix marketplace go in and purchase a 
uh, an app, in a sense, it's a genetic app, we call them, uh, and learn about um, you know, tendency for, um, you know, you're a marathon runner, are you a sprinter, do you have this uh, uh, a genetic marker that, uh, that gives you a, a better taste for red wine over white wine, and there's also different different things you could do, and then the project itself, uh, the Helix itself has only been around like less than a year, and, and we have different partners coming in uh, constantly every month. So you, once once you test, you're in the system, and then whenever you're interested about a new trait or a new um, discovery you want to make through your own DNA, you can visit the ecosystem and then and, and purchase a new app. Now I mentioned that the, the test is fairly affordable, but with this app and the uh, ability uh, to add on to learn more about uh, uh, your DNA, what it says about you, um, does the cost then grow exponentially? What, what can you tell people who are listening? Yes. Yeah, so when you when you come in, uh, so we're the first partners to join with Helix. That was late last year. When you came in through us, you would purchase a kit, um, a one-time sort of purchase fee that included uh, both. The, the testing, the lab part, and also the National Geographic part, which is processing your results and giving you your ancestral uh, composition. Um, and that w- itself was um, arranged between $100 and $150, depending on whether we had a special or not. And that was actually about the highest entry point, the highest point you would ever pay, pretty much, as, as the entry point. And then further on, once your test is done, you don't have to pay any of the lab fees anymore. You just pay um, for pretty much the processing fees, uh, which in itself are, are, are sort of like sort of like apps that you buy in an ecosystem, um, and those would range from a few dollars all the way to maybe up to $40, $50 or so. So once you're in the system, then you buy individual smaller mm-hmm. apps at a smaller price. Well, I want to thank Miguel Villar, Senior Program Officer and Lead Scientist for National Geographic's Genographic Project, telling us about uh, the latest uh, test and partnership, Geno 2.0 Next Generation. Miguel, thanks for your time today. We appreciate it. Oh, you're very welcome. My pleasure. And I wanted to go back to our certified genealogist, uh, Nora Galvin, who's in studio with us based in, in Bridgeport. I uh, wanted to have you answer some uh, more listener questions. Uh, Lucy's calling from Hartford. Lucy, you're on the show. Hi. Um, I'm really interested in taking the ancestry, you know, to find out more about my ancestry. But I'm curious as to where does this information go? Which is the best test just for ancestry? I don't want you know, DNA information or health information or anything else to be out there? What's, what's a secure site? I'm concerned about this information being out there. That's a very good question. Nora? Right. Um, all three of those major testing companies that I've been talking about have secure websites. Um, but you do have to face the fact, as you are trying to do, that once your DNA has been tested, there is information and it's known. And uh, it's, it, the security may or may not actually be the issue, uh, ultimately, and farther down the line. So right now, um, there is a, or there has been, I'm not sure of the actual status at the moment, there was a bill introduced in Congress uh, having to do with wellness programs through uh, insurance. And uh, it, it said that if you have had any DNA test done, uh, you need to share the results with your health supplier uh, or pay a penalty. And uh, this raised a lot of red flags for people because uh, sometimes the medical person is right in your own company, someone that you actually know. So uh, I don't know that that law has actually been passed. I know that there was a lot of opposition to it. Uh, but it's that's the kind of thing that we have to be willing 
to uh, have available to others. Once your test is done, it cannot be undone. And I also wonder sometimes when the information is sold to research companies, I mean, is there anything you can opt out? Can you opt out of that if that no, is a question? No, you cannot. So 23andMe is founded on the uh, idea of doing medical research, genetic research, trying to find genetic causes of uh, diseases. And anybody who participates in 23andMe, their data will be used in an anonymized way to uh, get collective information. Uh, uh, Ancestry is also selling data for that purpose. Uh, As far as I know, uh, Family Tree DNA is not doing that at this time. Uh, Jonathan's calling from Madison. Jonathan, you're on Where We Live. Go ahead. Oh, great. Uh, Thanks. Um, Great topic. Thanks for having me on. Um, I was uh, adopted from uh, Texas in the 70s. I, um, I've been trying to, I, I've been able to locate my birth mother, but she's kind of not in a place to be able to have a conversation with me. Uh, I've been trying to find out something about my birth father, and I've done a Y-DNA test through Family Tree DNA. Uh, and I've gotten some last names of suggested birth fathers and things like that, but those have been dead ends. And so I guess my, my question is, uh, what are some other avenues that I can try and use uh, genetically, if any, to try and find more information about my birth father. So you said you had your autosomal test done at 23 and me? At uh, Family Tree. Oh, family, the autosomal also at Family Tree DNA? Um, that would be the I'm family. Sure. It's, 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 you know, the, the Y-DNA piece that, that shows sort of the origin. So you've and, only and, done the Y-DNA? Yeah. Ah, okay. Then I recommend that you do an autosomal test uh, okay. Which and you can do it right there at Family Tree DNA uh, with the same sample you already sent in. You just log on and opt into the Family Finder test. Happens to okay. be on sale right now. That's the autosomal test, and that will show you cousins. It could show you half siblings or full siblings. Definitely, you want to do that. And if you can afford it, you may want to do it at all three companies. You definitely want to upload your raw data to a website called gedmatch.com, G-E-D-match.com. Okay. Cool. Thank you very much. Oh, good, good luck. Good luck, Jonathan. And we have time for, I think, one more call. Uh, Jason's calling from Brantford. Jason, you're on the line. Hi. Thanks for having me. Hey. Um, I'll try and make it really quick. So my dad did the saliva test, and for years, because I'm African-American, but we're light-skinned, so I get asked all the time if I'm biracial, but as far as I know, both my parents are black. My dad's side of the family never really knew too much about their great-grandparents, so my dad did the saliva test, and for years he always thought that he had a strong Native American background. And then once the casinos opened up, he was all about, like, trying to get in touch with his heritage and everything like that. So when he found out that we were mostly uh, Nigerian, but almost half of him was Western European and in small tribes around uh, both the Western area of Europe and around the Nigerian area of Africa. So he was really shocked to find out that he almost percentage-wise is biracial. Mm. So people for years would ask me if I'm biracial, and I would say both my parents are black. And so we found that out. So the other funny part is is that then a few years back, uh, a friend from Europe 
asking if I ever did the research on my last name. So when I did that, my last name is Diggs, and then they found out that the last name is Welch for one that walks like a duck. Hmm. In college, my friend used to call me Ducky because I used to always walk like a duck because I have flat feet and the way my feet go back and forth, she, she nicknamed me Ducky. I found out years later that my last name actually name. is Welch for one that walks like well, a duck. Well, Jason, we'll have to leave it there, but thank you for telling us uh, a little bit about your family's uh, history. Um, do you have any last, we only got a couple of minutes left, uh, Nora Galvin, again, certified genealogist. What are some real quick tips for people if they want to learn more about their ancestors? What are the, the best ways to do that? Well, to do careful research, you want to start with who you know, which is yourself, your parents, your grandparents. You want to get the birth death and marriage records and see if they all agree with one another. You want to start close to you and then move back generation by generation so that you're creating a nice chain of evidence. Uh, If there's a break in that chain, then you have to investigate that and figure out what the heck happened. Uh, When you reach some sort of blockade, a DNA test can be extremely useful for you. But you want to look at every record available. You don't want to look at one record and say, oh, there's that information. That's all I need to know. You have to find all the records, compare them, look for discrepancies, which there will be, and then try to explain those discrepancies. And not to get discouraged. Be persistent. Right, right. But the more you find, the more interesting it becomes. People get quite involved. Nora Galvin, thank you so much for coming into studio, answering our listener questions. It's really fascinating, a genealogy, and to know how to do it properly. You have a website. Tell our listeners where to go to learn more about you. Uh, my company is called Aunt Lizzie's Trunk. And if you run all those together, the .com, that's my website. Well, we thank you, Nora. Thank you so much for coming in. Well, thank you. I've had a great time. Today's show produced by Lydia Brown. Special thanks to Jeff Tyson and Kion Wolf. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. As always, thanks for listening. <laughs>